Welcome to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. We're really glad you're here. Whoever you are, wherever you're at, join us on the journey. All right. Thank you, John. And good morning, everybody. Um, I am I'm incredibly glad and excited to be here at Hillhurst, uh, the church about which I've heard so much, um, and a United Church success story. We, we kind of read about it on the East Coast with some measure of awe and wonder. Um, and it's, it's wonderful to see this congregation in action and to see people begin to live out the vision of welcoming and practice the art of welcoming. I feel like it's just like any other art form, even if you don't quite get it right the first time, the important thing is to keep practicing and you will hone your art over the months and over the years. Um, as, uh, as John mentioned, I'm a graduate of Atlantic School of Theology in Halifax, near where I grew up. Um, moving from Dartmouth, it's good to be here in Calgary. Um, <laughs> couldn't resist. Um, and uh, yeah, it was lovely to find the email uh, in my inbox a couple months ago from, from John saying, hey, you want to wanna come to Hillhurst? And I'm like, oh wow, did I make that big of an impression at that conference? Um, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I go by the pronouns they and she. Um, I am a candidate for uh, ministry in the United Church. I am also queer and transfeminine, non-binary. Um, so I exist at a really interesting intersection of things. And it's that intersection that I hope to share a bit with you today and a bit about how I read the Bible, including passages like the one we just heard, which is so often kind of uncomfortably weaponized against um, the ever-expanding reality of gender and relationality in, uh, in human existence. Just uh, want to take a pause. Um, I, I read, as I was kind of researching for the trip, um, the traditional name for this area, Mochkinsis, uh, Mochkinsis, yes. Um, uh, kind of this elbow spot where the rivers meet. And I, I read that it's always been a traditional meeting place. You know, a, uh, a common um, kind of Eurocentric assumption is that there was kind of nothing here before European settlers arrived. And it's the same where I'm from as well. Kind of uh, Halifax Harbor or Kshibuktuk, the Great Harbor, uh, has always been a traditional meeting place as well. So I feel um, very honored to have kind of traveled from one traditional meeting place to another. Um, and absorb the confluence of unique things that is here. And I hope I can uh, speak to that and lend some interesting perspective to, to this. One thing that I definitely would like to do, uh, considering that I, I have a platform here, is to sound a bit of a note of warning. Um, we hear a lot of anti-trans and anti-queer uh, legislation and rhetoric coming out of our neighbors to the south. And to date, three Canadian provinces have started to murmur uh, and parrot a bit of this specifically anti-trans rhetoric. Uh, federal conservatives too, I'm told. And so, um, yeah, I think our next federal election should be a very informed one. We should look at our candidates and see who actually aligns with our values. But I think um, this kind of stirring of anti-trans rhetoric is, is really part of a larger puzzle, one, big, one small piece of a larger puzzle. It is a rhetoric that I think is ultimately based in fear, because gender, which is one of, really one of the biggest social idols of Western society, these things that we put front and center, uh, and kind of we worship these idols instead of what really, really matters, uh, it's being challenged. It's being challenged by this ever-expanding perspective of, of gender 
and of human relationship. And uh, this, this idol of gender is so often underwritten by bad theology, uh, as we've seen again in Our Neighbors to the South. It's really part of a long history of what I would call the misuse of the Christian message as a tool of social control. It's the thing that goes all the way back to Emperor Constantine the Great in the first millennium, who dangled political power in front of the early Christians. And, you know, they kind of, kind of failed the Jesus test here. They took the bait, and we were never the same. Um, a friend, good friend of mine says, Christianity is not a religion for the powerful. Contrary to many people's assumptions, it is a religion that speaks truth to power. And I'm going to try to speak truth into some of that power today. Because uh, when we think of kind of the trans condition and uh, like the position of my fellow queer and trans people in society, I feel like a lot of non-trans people are, are positioned to think of it as a niche issue. It's not. It's a proving ground for what kind of society we want to be. Do we want to be a society of prescriptive little boxes that we shove people into and tell them, you can be only this and not any of these things? Or do we want to be a society that, and I think there is nothing more Christian than this, that opens the doors to the fulfillment of all of human potential? Because I really believe the Christian path is not one of moralizing, it's not one of repression. It is the difficult and delicate work of dying to the false self that society and the world and everything around us projects onto us. And through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, cracking open and opening wide to fulfill all of the potential that is written into us as children of the sacred. And so bad theology, I think, requires a challenge that is not only rooted in good theology, but a, uh, a good theology that is rooted in yes statements, positive affirmations, if you will. A theology that is not merely reactive, but stands on its own. As I say, the bigots will not steal my God of love and justice. And it is, first and foremost, a God of love and justice that I represent and that I defend and that I try to convey in every aspect of what I do. And like, uh, as I was going through theological school in Halifax, I, I read a lot of stuff about the United Church over the last 10 years. The United Church is not the church I grew up in. I grew up Lutheran. And so it was interesting to, nice, yeah. Um, <laughs> it was interesting to, to walk into a whole new denomination from the outside. Um, there's a lot of rhetoric in the wider community, or at least there has been, about how United Church people are so half-baked and we don't really believe anything. I think that's nonsense. Um, if my graduate research project that I did while I was at theological school taught me anything, uh, it's that people are finding God all the time, just not in the ways where we are traditionally expected to find God. So, um, and I think, like, if anywhere... My queer community, my trans community, has uh, this deep, deep hunger for meaning and transcendence and a quest for justice and how we can be better people. Uh, because, you know, I think nowhere else but in the queer community uh, have I seen us be human and fallible and vulnerable and messy. And I think if we cannot bring our spirituality to that, then our spirituality uh, is kind of dead. So let's live our spirituality. Um, a lot of people would also say that um, being like me, being trans and being Christian is somehow contradictory 
Because after all, we have passages like that Genesis passage, which is like, there is man, there is woman, and that's an ontological reality, and never the twain shall meet. I think it's more complicated than that, because for me, being trans and Christian is actually completely synergistic. It's completely logical. Uh, for example, I relate to Christ as a queer figure. Jesus was expected to grow up in his little village. He was expected to have a job, like go to the building site every day and try to pick up work uh, as a carpenter, and probably inherit his father's tools, and probably get married, probably raise a family. Instead, he becomes an itinerant preacher, and he gets up in his home synagogue, and he says, you know that bit in the scroll of Isaiah about preaching good news to the poor and liberating the captives? Well, that's what I'm going to do. That's a coming out moment. That is the point at which he puts everything on the line for his true calling, because he knows what he is and what he's supposed to do and who he's supposed to be. Um, it is also a feature of the United Church's creed statement that Jesus' purpose was, in very broad terms, to reconcile and to make new. And we see this in the traditional view of Jesus' divinity, where after months and months of debate, the ecumenical councils pronounced him not only fully divine, but also fully human, two simultaneous realities that were supposed to be contradictory, but in Jesus, they're not. And so I feel as a person who is fully queer, fully trans, and also fully Christian, the one informs the other. You can't have Jesus' humanity without Jesus' divinity. Jesus' divinity illuminates his humanity. His humanity opens up his divinity to become a relatable thing. So just as I am queer and Christian, both things are reconciled, and both things are given a kind of new life. And, uh, you know, to those who taught about sinful lifestyles, you know, wasn't Jesus called a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners and probably drag queens, of which I have been one? Uh, and is going out dancing, is attending pride celebrations so different from the work of Jesus? Reaching out to those in his communities, popping up where you would never expect a preacher to be. And so I come to this, this theological question, which is, where does my transness come from? Was I created like this? Maybe. I do find that to be an outgrowth of the born this way narrative, which I find a little bit simplistic. And so while, while, while whether I was created to be a trans person is an open question, I believe very strongly in retrospect, after having puzzled over it and prayed about it for years and years and years, I was called to this. I believe that now. And I had to answer this call to a complexity of gender, a complexity of gender that is like, mom, dad, I'm queer, but I'm queer in a way that you've never heard of before. I had to answer that call and be honest to that call before I answered the call to ministry. And I think I could have pursued the call to ministry, but I would have pursued it disingenuously. I would have pursued it incompletely and without knowledge of the fullness of what I am called to be. And ultimately, um, as I said in, about reconciling and making new, my, my trans quest, my gender quest, is the blueprint for my understanding of the way, the path of Christ. Uh, I gave a sermon for Trans Day of Remembrance last year where you know, I said I could talk about that moment where I saw myself in the mirror and I finally recognized myself. Or, you know, the day that I stepped into the truth of my being. But I might as well talk about baptism. 
that ritual where all pretense is washed away and a new person emerges who's already whole, already loved. Transfiguration, where you walk up the mountain and the air is thin and you're out of breath and suddenly the skies open up and you have a vision of all of the possibilities of your existence. I could have talked about resurrection, where you die. You might die in the most painful and tragic way possible, but somehow you bounce back more alive than you ever could have been before. All the death of the false self of expectations and the realization of possibility. And here's where I'm going to tackle the Genesis passage head on. People say, okay, well, this is all well and good. All this theologizing is, is something. But it's not biblical. Is it really biblical? And uh, yeah, this is where um, kind of the other part of my brain lights up, which is the part that delights in plumbing the depths of the sacred texts that have been the foundation of the Christian tradition and uh, the Jewish tradition as well. And so I look to Genesis 1, you know, in God's image, God created humanity, male and female, God created them. And people will proof text that and say, you know, that's, that sells it, that's all there is to it. There, there are two specified in the Bible, there are only two. Okay, well, um, this salt marsh that I grew up next to, is that kind of intrinsically disordered as well? Does God hate penguins because they're not birds of the sky, they're birds of the sea? but in the sea there are only supposed to be fish? No, 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 no. It's not a prescriptive statement about how many genders there are. I cannot imagine the people who compiled the Bible back during the Babylonian exile saying, we will write two genders in here just in case uh, any other weird genders pop up on the other side of the planet or 4,000 years from now. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's, it's nonsense. Um, it is a radical statement that both poles of the gender spectrum express the image of the divine equally, like that image is found in all people. And moving on to Genesis 2, completely different uh, story about the, um, the origin of humanity. And so you'll notice that that translation that we, we just heard um, is modified. It's kind of my own take based on my own understanding of the Hebrew text. So I went back to the sources, I consulted with people, I consulted as many uh, linguistic resources as I could. This thing that gets translated man or Adam most of the way through the passage, and I'm not going to turn this into an academic lecture here, but I'm going to touch on a few of these points. Um, there are two words at play here, Adama, the fertile ground, and Ha-Adam, it's the, the creature that comes out of the fertile ground, the earthling. I think that's the most accurate translation for the term because the two words are quite obviously connected. So. It's just kind of this creature, this clay figure, and God breathes the breath of life into it, and it comes to life. And then after a first chapter in which God calls all the things in creation good, we get this thing that is pronounced not good, which is this earthling is alone. And so God's next move is, I have to make what's called an ezer kenegdo. And people have translated that all kinds of ways throughout the centuries. The old King James translates it as helpmeet. We have this line of thinking that starts with Augustine in the first millennium saying, oh, well, Eve is just a mere helpmeet. And I think that's kind of a mistranslation. I consulted to uh, a queer Jewish friend uh, uh, who is married to a rabbi, 
And this word, ezerkenegdo, was used time and time again at their wedding. And what it means to them is ezer, which is this word that means help, but it's not a, a subordinate of assistance. It's more like divine aid. This is like uh, if you go to the Psalms and it says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where is my help going to come from? That word help is that same root word, ezer. And kenegdo is a little more slippery, but it kind of means, you know, complementary to or equal to or balancing out, um, sometimes equal to or better than. And so we get this sense of like a divine aid, a divine assistance, but which pulls equal weight. They take hold of life equally. We hear that uh, in a lot of translations, Eve was created from Adam's rib. This is another slippery word. Um, this word um, in Hebrew can refer to a wall of the tabernacle or a side of the temple. And so it's this, um, this facet, this, um, this part, some aspect of the earthling is being drawn out in this, this deep trance, this uh, entry into the world of dreams and visions and an expansive reality. And when the second human being is created out of whatever was taken out of this first human, the first human awakens. And what this first human does not say is very interesting. The first human does not say something like, ah, yes, um, a counterpart, everything that I am not. Uh, they do not say, oh, yes, a person to help me propagate the species. That comes several chapters later. Um, what they do say is, this one is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And never have I seen that, or never have I felt that so strongly as when I fell in love with another trans person for the first time. This one, at last, is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. We have the same kind of embodied experience. And so... But the creature before him is so fantastical that he has to in invent a new word for it. We don't see this word woman in the text uh, thus far, this word isha. And then something really interesting happens. The Hebrew word for man gets used for the first time as well. As if, in response to this new reality, one has to invent new language for oneself. Ish, man. Perhaps uh, the earthling has gone through some sort of physical change as well. We don't know. But whatever the new reality is, it breaks so fully from what has gone before that new words are needed for it. And isn't that what we have now? We have a reality that is expanding. More and more is being revealed to us, so we have to make up language as we go along. Reminds me of when I encountered the term genderqueer for the first time. Here was the term that I had been grasping for my entire life and was only able to articulate in, I do not feel an affinity to men. I don't perform masculinity well. I feel this affinity to women, but it doesn't fit a conventional trans narrative. Genderqueer. Maybe that's the word that I need. And people who use this text as a proof text will say, oh, but no, they were clearly in a heterosexual procreative relationship by the end of the book. Well, humans have all kinds of relationships, don't they? 
And we don't consider most of those to be sinful or lesser in the eyes of God. You know, are, are pen pals intrinsically disordered because they're not heterosexual and procreative? Are business partners, are our same-sex best friends? And so any relationship that is based on mutuality and trust, you know, if we draw an arbitrary line through it and say these relationships are good and these are not, that's still an arbitrary line. Any line drawn there is arbitrary. And so I realize not everyone in this congregation might identify as a capital C Christian. That's okay. But whoever you are and wherever you are at, I hope we can all look to the delightful queerness of a rejuvenated Christian project, one that is brought back to its roots, that itinerant preacher running around saying, follow me, follow me, follow me. I have something exciting to show you. I've found something exciting, and I want you to share it with me. We are taught by the letters of Paul elsewhere in the New Testament, this beautiful poem about how in Christ there is neither Jewish nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female. And what a lot of people miss you know, viewing this through a Western lens, is these are not polar opposites. In that culture, these are all power dynamics. There's no binary of the Gentile oppressor and, you know, the, the Jewish neighbor who is scraping out a living as a fisherman or what have you. There is no binary of the, the free person luring it over the enslaved person. There's no binary of the male head of the household telling his wife to be silent in church. That gets wiped away in the Christian project. Not that everybody is the same. It's more that these rifts are healed. We come together as equals. We can finally meet as equals. Interestingly enough, um, I, I find this reality lived out in my own life in very, very interesting ways. The future, I think, imagined by the first Christians is one in which Ultimately, all relationships that are based on mutuality and trust are celebrated. The straight couple with the kids, the poly-trans lesbians down the street. All ways of knowing based on honesty and respect are uplifted. The Western scientific method, indigenous ways of knowing, two-eyed seeing, bringing together both to create something more than the sum of its parts. And I think ultimately what God is calling us to in our relationships is not some sort of heterosexual, complementarian sexual ethic. It is the Edenic state of the Ezer Kenegdo. No oppressor, no oppressed. No head, no subordinate. People together pulling equally. Taking on life as equal partners understanding each other, and cooperating. And slowly, slowly, we can begin to put these dynamics right in our relationships if we die to these false selves, if we learn to see the humanity of the other, the divinity of the other, even. Playing out in my life in very interesting ways right now. I think, ultimately, the world that we imagine, the kingdom of heaven, is an understanding that all people are called to something, whether that's ministry, whether that's making the coffee, whether that's doing the sound, 
whether that's doing something way out there that we don't know about yet. But understanding that everyone has a calling and everyone can be given the support and the resources necessary to live out that calling and play their part in the ultimate healing of the world. Because my God is not only a God of love and justice, God throws away the rule book. This we know from Paul as well. God is not a God of the, the written code. The written code, if we try to follow it to the letter, is a stumbling block. What we need to do is look beyond the text into the spirit, into the people that inspired the compilers of the Bible during that Babylonian exile and the people writing letters to each other, passing them underground in the first century and look past the text into that benevolent creative force, as my partner calls it, full of infinite potential and infinite possibility, a God whose love not only colors outside the lines, as the song says, but ignores the lines altogether, this joyous rainbow ink blot spilling out all over the page. And like St. Peter walking on the water, we need to take those first courageous steps out of the boat, knowing that God will give us the courage to face whatever life throws at us. So let's go out there and walk. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and are thinking about someone who might enjoy it too, we invite you to send it their way and help the podcast grow. We're really glad you're here and we'd love to know what you thought about today's sermon. Leave us a review in iTunes or send us an email at communications at hillhurstunited.com. We'd love to hear from you.